Hello and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching Medium Cool Pod. That's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram and we'll pop up and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. You can find me at Austin Glidden on Twitter. You can also search Austin Glidden on Instagram and on Letterboxd. Uh, feel free to follow me in any of those places, and you're welcome to chat with me there. Uh, and as always, uh, again, you know, please uh, like, subscribe, review, rate, whatever you can do to help us out. It really does help. We really appreciate it. So on today's episode, uh, Joe and I are going, we have selected two movies, and we are going to be talking about those movies uh, the two movies are, and then we'll discuss who who picked them later, but the two movies are New Year's Evil from 1980 and Trick-or-Treat from 2007-2009. I explain that later. And uh, yeah, so that'd be fun. I also got a chance to see Dune on HBO Max, uh, which came out last Friday. Very excited to do a solo review of that. Uh, also, I got around to watching a few trailers, and it's not that I liked or disliked the trailers I'm about to mention, but there are three I wanted to mention just because I found them interesting or, <clears throat> excuse me, or I knew they were coming out, but I had no idea they were even filming these movies, let alone there were trailers. So the first one is, if you're a video game person and you have a PlayStation, the exclusive PlayStation title Uncharted, um, there are four games uh, well, uh, not counting the offshoots, but there are four kind of main, like mainline titles, and uh, this was turned into a movie. This has been talked about for quite some time, but the trailer is out now. Uh, Tom Holland plays uh, Nathan Drake. Uh, there's a, I mean, Mark Wahlberg's in it. Uh, like a bunch of people are in it. It's pretty awesome. Honestly, I'm super skeptical. I'm probably gonna hate it. To be honest, I love the games. But I'm probably going to hate the movie. We'll see, though. I'm going to give it the old college try because I like the source material. So I'm going to give it, a, you know, a perf like a good chance. I'm not going to sit there and just not want to like it. Of course I want to like it. Why would I waste my time with something I didn't want to like? I just have a feeling it's not going to be for me. Uh, but the second ta trailer that I watched was something called Being the Ricardos, which is a biopic about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Uh, starring Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem, respectively, playing those roles. Uh, and it was written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, who brought us, I mean, what's the Facebook movie? Um, I cannot believe I just spaced the Facebook movie. What in the fuck? Uh, I'm just going to look Aaron Sorkin up, and you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, but yeah, so uh, he, he wrote for The West Wing. Um God, the social network. That's what I was trying to think of. Why was that so hard? Anyways, The Trial of the Chicago 7, A Few Good Men. I mean, he did all kinds of stuff. Uh, I actually liked his movie Steve Jobs. I wasn't like a huge, huge fan, but I liked it. Moneyball I was a fan of. Charlie Wilson's Wars, good writing. A few good performances in it. Not huge on the movie overall, but I, I, I liked it. Uh, he's awesome. Uh, he has a very distinct writing style, so I'm looking forward to that. That should be pretty cool. Um, so being the Ricardos, who knows? I don't know. I, it just stood out to me. Again, there are like a million trailers out right now that are really awesome. These are just ones that kind of stood out to me because I had no idea they existed. Uh, and then the other one is uh, based on the beloved anime Cowboy Bebop. It actually has a live action movie coming out on Netflix. Uh, I believe in November the trailer dropped. I don't know how to feel about this, but 
Cowboy Bebop is one of my all-time favorite anime series, uh, anime in general, movies, TV, whatever it is. Uh, I love, love Cowboy Bebop. I rewatched it in the last, I mean, just this year sometime. Big fan. So, uh, you know, I'm going to watch it regardless. I want to like it so much. It's just kind of strange. I don't know how to feel about it yet. You should go watch them. Though. I'd love for you to have an opinion. If you have an opinion, hit me up on any of the social media I mentioned, uh, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at Austin Glidden or uh, at Medium Cool Pod. Let me know what you think. I'd be curious. But there is a news story I want to cover before we get into the content here. Uh, many of you probably heard about Helena Hutchins being shot and killed um, on a film set. Uh, Helena Hutchins was a cinematographer, and she was killed on the set of the new upcoming Western Rust when actor and producer Alec Baldwin discharged a f- prop firearm. And uh, director Joel Souza was also injured in the incident. Um Baldwin said, uh, there are no words to convey my shock and sadness regarding the tragic, uh, this tragic accident that took the life of Helena Hutchins, a wife, mother, and deeply admired colleague of ours. My heart is broken for her husband, their son, and all who knew and loved Helena. Now, my friend Jake Bottolieri, who has been on the show several times, we did the John Cassavetes Marathon, we did the First Reformed thing, I mean, we, we've done several things together on here. And as I've said, he's a screenwriter, he went uh, to grad school at AFI, he was actually in Helena Hutchins' uh, cohort at AFI. And, uh, you know, I've seen several people, including him, that I'm, uh, but other people that I'm acquainted with or by proxy, uh, with uh, their posts about knowing her, and it just seems like she was a real gem. I mean, a pure-cut diamond of a human, uh, and it's really a heartbreaking story. I mean, we don't really hear about this a lot, and and you know, we here at Medium Cool definitely wish Hutchins' family and loved ones our deepest condolences. I mean, this is something that really caught my attention. My wife actually had texted me and was like, have you heard about this Alec Baldwin incident? You know, And I checked it out, and I just couldn't believe it. It really, really is a tragedy. Um but I, I want to clarify something, though. Uh, just remember this as, uh, unless we hear confirmed otherwise, okay? Remember that for Alec Baldwin, this was an accident. <laughs> like, he had nothing to do with this. When on a film set, actors do not tamper with props. They don't touch them until it's time to use them while filming. Um, you know, there's a prop master for that. So they use dummy guns made of rubber or whatever, you know, plastic or whatever they use to rehearse. And then... And only when the film starts rolling are they given the props. So to think that Baldwin should have done or could have done anything uh, to the prop gun is absolutely ridiculous. There's someone else to blame here. Um, Could be a prop person. I don't know. It really doesn't matter because someone lost their life. Someone was critically injured. And Alec Baldwin has to fucking live with this. I mean, God. So I wish Alec Baldwin peace and courage, man, because this is... You know, he's going to be under a lot of flack by a lot of ignorant people. This was not his fault. Again, there's been no proof. He's been nothing but cooperative with the with law enforcement. Um, I truly believe he's innocent. I'll be the first to, you know, eat humble pie if I'm wrong. But I sincerely don't believe I am. It doesn't make sense for me to be wrong in this instance uh, because it just, I don't know. Uh, you don't mess with, you, you're not even around prop guns when you're an actor on sets unless you're given them. So anyways, um this just has to be unbelievably painful, not only for Helena's loved ones, but also for Alec Baldwin and his family. Just, I can't imagine accidentally killing someone. 
It's just really sad. Um, but uh, I guess to try to lift this out of Bummerville, which I usually like to be in, but in this case, it's actually a real, real bummer. Um, I want to move on and uh, try to talk about Dune. It feels weird now <laughs> to like jump into that, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and talk to, about Dune because I have a lot to say about it, and I want to get to it before we go too long. So uh, yeah, folks, uh, stay tuned. Here are my thoughts about Dune. All right, Dune from 2021. It actually came out last Friday. I'll give you that date here in a moment. Not like we need it, but, you know, that's part of my routine. Uh, it was directed by Denis Villeneuve, um, who also wrote it alongside John Spate and Eric Roth, who actually has some incredible writing credits under his belt, including Forrest Gump, The Insider, and Munich, to name only but a few. I mean, if you go look at Eric Roth's uh, whole thing... Uh, you'll you'll see someone that you'll see films you recognize for sure. But uh, Dune is based on the Frank Herbert 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 uh, Frank Herbert novel uh, from back in I think '65. Uh, the cast this is a long cast, so bear with me here. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Batista for all my WWE fans, good old Batista, uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Zendaya, uh, Cheng Chin. Uh, Sharon Duncan Brewster, Charlotte Rampling, uh, Jason Momoa, and Javier Bardem. Holy crap, like what a cast. Uh, it was released, as I said, last Friday on October 22nd, 2021. It had a budget of $165 million. And as of the recording of this, it had made $220.7 million worldwide. But according to Box Office Mojo, it's only actually made $17.5 million domestically. So I don't know if that's because of HBO Max also having it. So people are avoiding it uh, along with the pandemic. Like I watched HBO Max. I would have happily went to the theater to see this specifically, uh, but I just didn't have time. I had to watch it late at night and, you know, that's just how it went. So uh, I don't know what that means. We'll talk a little bit about uh, part two because this is Dune part one. Um, we'll see where that goes. Uh, actually, I'll say it now. I may say it more later, but. Uh, it has not been greenlit yet. Part two has not been greenlit. So I, I don't know if they're waiting because of the pandemic to see how much money this makes. Again, it's it's made its money back. Um, in terms of profit, I mean, I don't I can't do math right now. 220 minus so 65 million dollars or so. But I, I don't know what they're aiming for. I don't know what's going on. Uh, hopefully they make a part two. We'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, as for a synopsis, uh, Paul Atreides, a brilliant and gifted young man born into great destiny, uh, a great destiny beyond his understanding, must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his family and his people. As malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planet's exclusive supply of the most Precious resource in existence, a commodity capable of unlocking humanity's greatest potential. It's called spice. Uh, only those who can concur or concur, dude, I've had a long day. Only those who can conquer their fear will survive. Now, I first heard about Dune as a teenager listening to uh, the American metalcore band Shai Hulud, uh, still one of the all time greats, in my opinion. I still listen to him. But uh, I always loved their name, and someone told me it was from, you know, it was based on a book with a giant sandworm called Dune. 
Uh, I didn't know that's what the sandworm was called. That's just what the, that's how it was described to me. There's a giant sandworm, and it's you know this book that takes place in the desert. Later, I heard about David Lynch's adaptation in 1984, which was discussed as a bad movie from the 80s directed by some crazy guy. So then, you know, I got into film in 2003 and learned about Lynch, uh, you know, later. And I learned who he was. And later, I watched the 84 version. Quite frankly, I don't really remember it. I wasn't into it. Uh, this is probably the mid-2000s when I did this. I probably had no framework. I probably had only seen Mulholland Drive, to be honest. Maybe Elephant Man. Uh, but I hadn't seen much from him. I would love to rewatch it, but I have not since. So, uh, needless to say, I never read the Herb. I never read uh, Herbert's work ever. But then director Denis Villeneuve was attached to the new adaptation, and I was immediately sold after his triumphant Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Now, twenty forty nine should have been terrible. Okay, it was completely unnecessary, and yet Villeneuve got a banger cast and crew and made something that I now consider inseparable from the original. It is now a duology, you know, for me in my mind, and I want to watch both of them because I think they're both so great. So, uh, you know, how do I feel about Dune Part 1? I feel great about it. We're going to talk about it here. So too many sci-fi movies aren't real sci-fi movies. You know, they're watered-down blockbusters with A-list stars and very little science fiction. You know, so it's like video games. Every game now is an RPG, you know, but in real life, they're not real RPGs. What well, is real life? You know what I mean? Like, in, in reality, it's not, it's not real. They're not real RPGs. They just have elements of them. You know, and so sci-fi is the same way it seems these days, you know. Oh, there's an android in it? Sci-fi. Oh, someone shoots a laser gun? Sci-fi. You know, what the fuck ever. Like, <laughs> um, there is more to it than that, and Villeneuve knows how to get real, all right? He created Herbert's lived-in desert world, Arrakis, and uh, not only did he and his team create it, he practiced world-building, ooh, which every sci-fi feature should be focused on up front. Uh, he made things practical, yet otherworldly, namely the sandworm Shailud. It is amazing, okay? So, uh, you know, everything from the world-building to the cinematography within that world to the special effects, costume design, art direction, music, etc., all of it is cool. Uh, this is a movie that hit every point as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, as an exclusive experience, it lacks a certain climax, but we know to expect that in part two. Uh, God willing, as long as it gets greenlit, of course. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm hoping for. But, you know, this is, this is a movie kind of like Kill Bill. You know, if you think of the structure where it's like half the movie is one and then the other half is two, and you can't just watch the first one and get the whole story. It's not meant to be exclusive. It's all meant to be one picture, and that's what they're doing with this one. So do not go into Dune if you haven't seen it, expecting to have some big finale finish. No, it's the end of... I mean, think of it this way. You're halfway through a movie, okay? So you've seen the first half of a movie, and we have to wait for the second half to be made now. Uh, but that said, it's really, really great. But I'm going to start with the visuals, okay? If there's one thing for certain, Villeneuve had a vision going into this. That's clear. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, Australian cinematographer Greg Frazier nailed it, okay? Frazier worked on uh, Let Me In from 2010, which looks amazing, uh, despite the film paling in comparison uh, to the original Let the Right One In, but I digress. Uh, Frazier did 
uh, Zero Dark Thirty, Foxcatcher, Rogue One, and you know he's filming the new Batman movie, who is also directed by the same guy that did Let Me In. Uh, I'm spacing his name right now, but it doesn't matter. The point is, uh, you know, he's doing some really, really awesome work. Uh, now, Frazier might not be a Roger Deakins like uh, Villeneuve worked with on Blade Runner 2049, but God damn it, uh, Frazier made this movie look incredible. Now, that's just part of it. The special effects impressed me, too. I hesitate to watch any kind of behind-the-scenes featurette or anything because, you know, I, I don't want to see how the sausage was made, so to speak, and I just want to keep eating it because it tastes good. <laughs> you know, the special effects could be mostly CG, for all I know, but they fit in the world. So, like, they fit so well that I didn't notice them often. You know, there were definitely times where it's where it's CG, but I do that with any film that's kind of a, a blockbuster status. But this one this one did it really well. And consider this. Avengers Endgame and Age of Ultron had a budget of around $350 million. Infinity War had $315 million. Captain America Civil War had $250 million. But Dune had $165 million. And it looks more interesting and arguably better than all of those movies I just mentioned. So, uh, you know, blockbusters have a habit of falling into green screen world for me where the actors just don't quite fit. It's very clear that this was filmed in a green screen world and they're just sitting on some green screen stump. Uh, or whatever, or in some green screen chair, and then everything is built around them, and I hate that look. Uh, I don't, like, despise it. Like, it won't ruin a movie, per se, if the movie's good, uh, but it will not help it in any way. I, I, I It, like, annoys me. So, uh, anyways, it looks... That, that type of stuff looks really and feels really phony. But Dune walks the line between adding visuals to look cool and impressive while also making sure they fit into the world and they fit the tone that is established. And that was, you know, this was a movie that I could get lost in. And there's also, to add to all of that, Hans Zimmer's score. And holy Christ, dude, listen, I know a lot of, of Zimmer's scores sound the same. Like, they really do. If you listen to The Thin Red Line and then you listen to The Dark Knight uh, soundtracks like they I think they're just in a different key but the same chord progressions and slightly different instruments but it's essentially kind of it's very similar okay you know once you've seen Nolan's Batman movies you start to hear the same score in every like everywhere but you know I love the additions to the kind of uh, Zimmer standard fare right uh, I mean we we get the Zimmer style here no, no doubt because even I even looked it up during while watching the movie, you know, during it. And I was like, is this a Hans Zimmer score? And uh, lo and behold, it was. But, uh, you know, then there is there are these like screeching bagpipes and wailing voices and violent percussion and moody metallic droning. I mean, there's all of these different aspects that he kind of adds to it. And it's really interesting to me. Um, and it kind of gives it this this uh, like very specific vibe. And, and I, re I really, really loved the score. Um, and, and, you know, it, it blends really well with the visuals that Frasier captured. You get a tone that I don't often feel in movies these days. The film has a mood and an atmosphere. It, uh, you know, is allowed to breathe in moments where it is critical. Uh, the plot can still be fairly abstract and there are moments where it feels a little rushed, you know, like some of the plot points, but I never struggled to follow along. And uh, though I might have wanted to see a little bit more at its two and a half hour running time, 
I don't need more. I could follow along just fine. And it doesn't just take you where you need to go. It feels you there. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. Like the feeling you get uh, watching this and listening to this, I think kind of gets you where you need to go. It's, it's kind of a roadmap of sorts. So uh, I love that about this movie. But part of the appeal too is that Villeneuve actually practices world building, as I mentioned before. You know, th- there's, there's not a... There's not only a giant sandworm bigger than a football stadium, you know, um, but it has practical habits. There are methods to its hunting and ways around those methods, like the T-Rex in Jurassic Park when the group sees the ripples in the glass of water. Uh, Shiulud, which is the sandworm, has similar tells, you know, whenever it is on its way. I love the setup of the sandworm, uh, but also... You know, pulling from the book, the way the suits that these individual, like the uh, main characters wear to survive on this desert planet, which would otherwise kill them. Uh, You know, they wear these suits recycling water that's expelled from your body, like sweat, urine, or tears, and it completely recycles and cleanses that water so you can drink it again and stay hydrated in that vicious desert. Now, it does all but like 15% of it, so eventually you'll run out but it can keep you alive a long time in these conditions. You know, or even the way that energy shields work, allowing slow objects to penetrate the force field, but fast objects are mo- mostly stopped, uh, or the voice, quote-unquote, uh, used by the uh, Bene Gesserit, uh, Bene Gesserit, I'll say that correctly, which uh, is kind of like a Jedi mind trick of sorts, uh, where or, or like uh, Jesse Custer in the Preacher comics, if you've read the Preacher comics, uses his demon voice, as I call it, or whatever, to um, make people do what he says. The voice that the Bene Gesserit use, it completely rules, uh, but it also has boundaries. You know, it's not just, uh, you know, overpowered. You know, it has boundaries, and you have to be good at it. It demands a specific set of skills, and there are many facets to it, including using a certain pitch and tone and and the, the level of familiarity with the people, etc. It comes through beautifully here, I think. It is used really awesomely in certain scenes. The voice thing is such an awesome sci-fi world builder thing. Uh, big fan. So for as fantastical as it is, it allows for some really interesting moments in the film. But everything in Villeneuve's adaptation has has purpose, it seems, and you know carries weight. You know, and where does that weight take us? I don't know. We'll see in part two. Fingers crossed. But there is weight being built to it, and I'm completely fine with waiting because it's good enough, and it earns me waiting to see the end of this story. And you know, that's that's uh, I, I do have one area of criticism. And that's that I think the film heavily relies on the future sequel. Uh, this is not a bad thing inherently, okay? We saw the Lord of the Rings, and we saw it with Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and uh, even Kill Bill, as I mentioned before. The movie is unfinished because uh, it is not just one movie. It is multiple to complete the story. So Lord of the Rings is a perfect example where we see uh, the end of the first movie, if I remember correctly, all the parties kind of split up into three different groups, and then, you know, where, where are they going? We don't know. We'll find out in the two towers where they went. Uh, you know, there's a big kind of climactic, big battle at the end of Fellowship of the Ring, but it still just ends with them all going separate ways. So uh, in, in this one, it's not like that, but uh, it does just kind of leave the story. It puts a pen in it. And it's like, hey, the next 
you know, installment of this will come out and finish the tale. Um, Harry Potter's the same way, and yes, each movie has its own subplot that is completed, but you don't get the entire full story uh, until you complete all of them. Kill Bill, I already mentioned. Volume 1 ends, uh, and the bride still has half of her list to complete, you know, because she's killing everybody on the list. So you know there's more story here. And so, you know, if and when Part 2 comes out, this film will be complete, and depending on how good Part 2 is will dramatically affect how I look back on part one uh, because it is only half the film. So again, it's not an inherently bad thing yet, but it could end up being because part one does not work as a standalone film. That does not mean it's bad. Again, I love this movie, Um, but I want to move on here. So the performances are mostly good here. Timothy Chalamet plays our protagonist, Paul Atreides, Uh, the aforementioned brilliant and gifted young Man born into a great destiny beyond his understanding. Uh, he has visions, and these visions, you know, uh, he fears them and he f- because he fears that they tell the future. And so, uh, you know, he's also been told that he's the one, uh, you know, for a long time, or at least people have hinted at it. And, uh, you know, he's really close to his mother, Lady Jessica Atreides, who is uh, part of the Bene Gesserit, as I mentioned, with The Voice. And uh, as, like I said, as I mentioned before, uh, they are trained in what they call The Voice. And they're trained in many really interesting things, by the way. Uh, but this is just my favorite, to be honest. Um, and The Voice is really just a means to uh, control others merely by selected tone shadings of The Voice, uh, as I quote uh, a, a definition of the voice from Dune. Uh, you know, she she trains Paul in in the ways of the voice and and uh, in these hand signals. It's like their own kind of sign language to be able to communicate silently, and all of these other little things that she is teaching him, which is uh, kind of unusual for where he is in life. But because of her Bene Gesserit uh, uh, history, she can teach him these special skills. So she trains Paul in these ways. Um, and he's not only a badass in these unique ways, but also on top of that, he's, he has mad fighting skills, folks. So, uh, he learned most of what he knows about combat from Gurney Halleck, played by, uh, very well by James Brolin. And, uh, but Paul keeps having these visions and, and one of which is about an unknown Fremen played by Zendaya. Now, the Fremen have populated Arrakis for thousands of years, long overlooked by the rest of uh, the kind of imperial forces, or the Imperium, as they call it, and considered they're considered backward savages. And in reality, they're an extremely uh, hardy people and exist in large numbers. And these are uh, essentially, you know, they kind of act like the Na'vi in Avatar, uh, but just like a billion times cooler. And, and by that, I mean... You know, uh, they're seen as these savages, but they actually have like pretty admirable ways uh, of life. Uh, But everyone just says, like, you have a thing we want and we're going to kill you to get it, which is exactly what happens in Avatar. Uh, So, you know, they're they're, the uh, Fremen are human, basically, or they look human at least, uh, but they have like blue eyes. And I'm not just talking about the irises. I'm talking about like their eyes are blue, like where the white is, (laughs) you know. Uh, So, you know, they're, they're, they're cool, though. You also have uh, Oscar Isaac, who plays Duke Leto Atreides, who's Paul's father. You have uh, Jason Momoa, who plays Duncan Idaho, who is this kind of legendary warrior who fights with Paul's 
uh, whole group. Uh, you have uh, Javier Bardem, who plays Stig, uh, Stilgar, who is a Freeman uh, that they meet at a certain point. Uh, Dave Bautista plays one of the bad guys, Beast Robin uh, uh, Hark- Harkonnen. I forget how to pronounce it now. Harkonnen. Maybe that is Harkonnen. Uh, Beast uh, Rabin or Rabin Harkonnen. doesn't matter. The point is he's a monster, and it's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, Charlotte Rampling plays this awesome... She's known as uh, the the Reverend Mother or a Reverend Mother. She is awesome. Uh, I really, really liked her. Uh, I mean, everyone is actually pretty good in this, uh, but Stellan Skarsgård plays this terrible dude. Uh, it's Baron Vladimir, uh, Harkonnen, uh, kind of teaming up with Batista there, but he's like the Baron. He's like the big daddy of that whole house Harkonnen group. And, uh, dude, he looks awesome. He has tons of practical effects and like makeup on him and stuff. He's just like this fat blobby guy that can kind of float around. Dude, I was really into that guy. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, the, the cast is really fun, really cool. Uh, I'm really into that. So uh, Dune is actually really hard to summarize because it's just pretty dense, to be honest. And this will probably turn some people away, I fear. But this was not hard for me to follow, though it did demand concentration at times. Uh, There are a lot of names and groups of people and places and objects, etc. But the movie is so good at the visual storytelling that even if I didn't remember the name of something or someone, I knew what it or they, I knew what it was or who they were. You know, so I I commend the team for pulling this off. To be honest, Dune was known as the unfilmable novel for a long time, but I think Villeneuve has proven that statement wrong so far. So, you know, I've harped on long enough about Dune. Uh, You you need to see this. If you're a sci-fi fan, especially you need to see this and you can see it in theaters or on HBO Max right now. Uh, We rarely get blockbusters that have substance and, you know, worlds with politics and cultures and truly unique or innovative traits that we, you know, see in Dune. We don't get that a lot. And this is Star Wars meets Lord of the Rings meets Blade Runner by way of, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey (laughs) or something. I mean, you know, of course I say that, you know, hyperbolically, but... Uh, You know, it's just a classic story with a lot going on, and uh, I'm just really fine with it. Uh, Again, it it does seem a little rushed in certain sequences. They They may build on those things in the second one. You know, once the second one comes out, this should be complete. Uh, As with every epic book adaptation, yes, um, you know, it is, they might leave some things out or they might change some things. I haven't read the books, but I have friends who have read the books and talked to me about it. And quite frankly, when they explained to me the things that they changed, I'm like, well, that probably needed to happen for the film. So it actually seems like they did it right. Um, And honestly, even those people still really liked it. Uh, but, you know, it never hindered me. Uh, none, none of the rushing or, or uh, you know, anything being left out that, again, I was unaware of. Um, but it didn't bother me. It did not hinder my experience at all. It was really great, and uh, I hope you check it out. Um, again, uh, you know, I watched it on HBO Max. Feel free to do the same. This is a treat, and we'll see how good it truly is once part two comes out. It better be made. I will be upset if it's not. Uh, I gave Dune a four and a half out of five. That honestly might change at some point. Again, we'll see how it finishes out. But for now, I'm actually really impressed with this film. Villeneuve does it again. 
Uh, admittedly, a tentative rating because we have to see the end of the film, of course, but I'm happy with my rating for now. If you've seen Dune and you agree or disagree, please hit us up at Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Instagram, Medium Cool Pod, and we'll pop up. And at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. Find me on Letterboxd, uh, Instagram, or Twitter. You can search Austin Glidden. And I will be there. Uh, next up is going to be Joe and I talking about some horror movies that uh, the ones that we picked we had never seen before. So we're going to see how that goes. Um, and yeah, I'm going to go ahead and jump over to Joe. All right, Joe, we're here to talk about uh, horror movies that we have not seen. Okay, now I have <laughs> I had seen your pick. Um, uh-huh. My pick was new to both of us, but not new to a lot of people, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and start with Joe's pick, which is New mm-hmm. Year's Evil from 1980. For some reason, I put 2021 next to it. I wasn't paying attention. It's 1980, <laughs> though. Um, it's yeah. directed by uh, Emmett Alston, written by Emmett Alston and uh, Leonard Nubar. And uh, the mm-hmm. cast, uh, there's a lot of people in it, but uh, Roz Kelly, Kip Niven, and Chris Wallace are three among them. Uh, the release date was December 19th, 1980, with a budget of $500,000. Uh, mm-hmm. This movie is really strange. I'm not surprised I can't find box office numbers for it. Uh, <laughs> but it was, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a notoriously bad movie. And we'll see how yeah. we feel about it. But, I mean, uh-huh. if even if you look, like, I'm going to Google real quick while I'm, like, yammering on right now. Uh-huh. Because I forgot to uh, put this in my notes. But uh, New Year's Evil, the 1980 mm-hmm. film. Uh, again, I don't really put a lot of stock in Rotten Tomatoes, but it has like a 14%. <laughs> and IMDb, I which I, I could. Oh, yeah, higher than you expected. I, IMDb, which yeah. I could care less about their rating. But 4.8, Metacritic, 33%. My point is the consensus, at least among consensus pollers, um, mm-hmm. for fans and critics alike, usually not a fan. Um, actually the audience, uh, oh, <laughs> oh my God, the audience score matches the like quote unquote tomato meter. So both wow. are 14%. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's, uh, we're about to talk about, uh, something. All right. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> during new year's, during a new year's Eve celebration, a Los Angeles disc jockey, Diane Sullivan, better known by her stage name, blaze, uh, receives a phone call during a telethon of sorts or like whatever the gathering they did. They have like this, it wasn't a telethon, but it looks like a telethon. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know why they're just like answering phones and everyone can hear them. It's like a weird thing, but yeah. anyways, uh, you know, she receives a call from an alleged killer saying that, uh, when New Year strikes in each time zone, which is such a specific and weird thing, uh, each time zone, someone will be murdered and she will be the last one. Um, uh, it has a so bad it's good quality for many slasher fans um, mm-hmm. containing caricatured punk rockers, 80s rock and rollers, hilariously bad acting music that was cool when the film came out, maybe, but is definitely mm-hmm. more fit for a comedy these days. Um, uh, also a guy wearing like red pantyhose on his head. I mean, there's like, there's f- fun for the whole family. I mean, uh, clearly this is a must see. Yeah. There's like a plane. This is the loudest plane I've ever heard. Can you hear this? Wow. No, but my, 
my uh, heat just kicked on like just as you were saying that. So I kind of feel like I have the same thing at my house. <laughs> this is actually scary. Wow. This is more scary than both of the films we're talking about today. <laughs> it, it, it's, it felt like I was about to feel like an air raid of just missile explosions. That was like yeah. super. I can still hear it. Anyway, I'm so sorry that I just went on to that digression. Yeah. The point is, Joe, New Year's yeah. Evil was your pick. And now that yep. you've seen the movie for the first time, mm -hmm. does it fit into your so bad it's good category or is it just a stinker? Ugh, it's I'd love for it to be so bad it's good. And and maybe from time to time it is, but and it's just really bad. <laughs> it's just <laughs> bad. Um it, you know, the some of the stuff the so it, it's got a really we can say hilariously bad theme song. Yeah. Uh, a very screechy kind of punk rock, but not really. It's not quite. punk rock at all. But yeah, everyone not, playing it looks thing. like a punk. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I, this is like, I think this is very like, like early 80s, like poser punk rock kind of thing. You know, where, where the people think that they're punk and they're really just singing really bad pop music. Yeah. And it's, there's not really, yeah, so it's it's not really punk at all, like you said, but it I think it thinks it is. It's very screechy, and, uh, you know, I, it was funny because it comes on, and I'm and it's very, like, New Year's Eve, and I'm like, is this a woman or a man singing? I'm not really sure. I thought it was a woman, but then they play it during the film, like someone performs it, and it's a man singing lead, so... I was like, I guess it's a man singing it. Again, this kind of fits in the '80s, the androgynous kind of you know thing with voices. But I, but you know, it it's not good. Let's just say that it's not good. Um, it so, sounds more like real quick. It sounds more like uh, an '80s like arena rock hair metal band or something, but yeah, in okay. their garage uh, days. Do you get what I'm yes. saying? <laughs> Like yes, before they absolutely. got famous, this is them practicing in their garage. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so there, but there's there's just a lot of moments in this movie that are very bad. Um, you know, like you said, the the conceit of the movie is that the the killer here is going to murder someone when so so and the idea is someone that this lady knows, someone close to this lady. She, they're going to murder someone um, at the stroke of midnight in each time zone. Um, so as as it you know as it hits midnight in the eastern time zone, then the central, then the mountain, then the Pacific, someone will die. At, you know at the stroke. Now it's not someone in one of those time zones. This is where it gets confusing. You're like, hmm. Yeah. There are multiple killers. Is the killer hopping on a plane and flying from one time zone? No, these are all people close to this woman. In, I assume, I think New York, if I remember right. So, you know, that makes it convenient for the, the killer to stretch. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, then, you, like you said, you have um, uh, this woman's son. So this woman has, a, she's a, um, almost a VJ for, for people that that would mean something yes. to. Like, days. Um, but, you know, back in these days, th those kinds of shows would be on, on broadcast TV. So... She is, you know, she's a celebrity of some sort. She's, you know, she's famous for, for this. And, um, you know, her son is excited as with the, the show starts. Her son is 
I don't know, in his early 20s, and he's very excited because he scored the lead on this, this um, um, new, I don't know, a, a TV series of some kind. And um, it's, uh, you know, so he's excited about that, but she, because she's very self-absorbed, she ignores him. And um, so he, this is something that has, seems to be a, a recurring theme in their relationship. He's very upset about it. And then we have the moment that, that you mentioned where he pulls these red pantyhose over his head. It's very much a, um, a Billy Madison kind of moment. If you remember <laughs> the Steve Buscemi cameo, when Billy Madison, you know, where, where Billy calls him and is like, hey, you know, I know I gave you a hard time in high school. I'm really sorry about that. I just wanted to apologize. And then he, you know, he uh, crosses Billy's name off the list of people to kill and yeah. then like puts and like lays back listening to uh, school days. <laughs> the song's yeah. cool. While he poorly puts lipstick like on. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's terrible. It's a terrible, uh, you know, it's, it, that's maybe the closest it comes to hilarity at that point for me. Um, where I'm just like, Oh my God. But, um, but yeah, so, so people are, are killed. Um, there's no real tension to this, the approaching of each time zone, which kind of, you know, like it, we're, I'm thinking like, how do we make this a good movie? If we can build tension for each hour, maybe there's something to it, but it's just kind of like the movie goes on, somebody gets killed and then it goes on for a while. Oh yeah. It's the next hour time for somebody else to die. Yeah. Th think about it's this. All think very set up. Well, it's very set up in a, in a clumsy kind of way. You know, very, it's, it's a, just a clumsy setup and clumsy execution. So yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. What, what do you have at this point? <laughs> Well, I'll say this. Um, they could have fixed this because the tension thing's a, a thing that I have a note of as well. Mm -hmm. And you have, you know, you have movies where like there's like someone, you know, I don't know, holding up a bank and he has hostages and he's like, I'll kill someone every hour until you get me a pizza or whatever. Right. And right. then like uh, uh, what they would do is say like, we have 15 minutes to figure out what to do about the Like if you talk about time. If you're seeing clocks, if people are talking about we have 50 minutes to come up with a solution, this mm -hmm. can help build some of the, this simple thing can help build some of the tension. Now, I also recognize yeah. that at first, no one took them seriously. After right. the first kill, no one really takes them seriously. But you'd think yeah. by the third and fourth kill or whatever, you mm -hmm. would start to actually build the tension. I get the first ones, some nut job calling, whatever. But um, yeah, so I, I agree with you there. As far as what I have to say about the movie, um, one, I actually think that the mask <laughs> that the guy wears at one point is actually really awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, it's laughable. Like if you Google New Year's Evil and just like uh -huh. look at images, um, like you'll see the mask and it's like, I mean, it's bad, but it's like kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think that's cool. There were a couple of... Uh, I, you know, I actually like the scene in the, uh, I, I guess, what would you call it? The mental institution um, okay, or whatever yeah. it is, or the that like mental yeah. hospital or whatever. Um, yeah. And, and that, that scene was like strangely fun for me. I think it's like the, it might even be the first kill actually. Uh -huh. um, yeah. But that, that, that scene's okay. Like, like you said, you know, in, in my notes, I actually wrote, uh, you know, like this is, there are moments Exactly how you said it at the beginning, actually. Like, yeah. like there are moments that it's fun, 
but by and large, it's just kind of bad and a little boring. Dude, the yeah. the performances are like epically terrible. Yes. Like, yes. aren't we right here? I mean, I, it's like uh-huh. epically bad, which can be a so bad it's good thing a lot of times. And I think mm-hmm. were this to do other things um, better, it could reach that and it could be that. But within the context, didn't really work for me. Um, and uh, I don't know, like, the, I, the, it's definitely because when did MTV start? Will you look that up while I'm talking? I think it was like 81 <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah. It was it, right. It, bef- it would have been after this, I believe. Yeah. And uh but you you definitely get that like MTV VJ thing. You get mm-hmm. um I mean, dude, it's just like back and forth between horror, like early 80s slasher and then it mm-hmm. had just cut to like a band performance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. and people going crazy. Like it's very very much of its time uh, with that yeah. as well. Did you look it up? Yeah, yeah. It's the 1st of August 1981. Yeah. So uh, would have been the year after this movie came out. Yeah. But there were, you know, there was like Dick Clark's American Bandstand. 100%. And yeah. Soul Train and things, like those kinds of shows. For that sure. Were already popular. And, and they were called VJs, but like really they acted just like the DJs at radio stations. Mm-hmm. You just saw them on video. Like that was the whole point. That was the whole gimmick. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, with, uh, with Blaze, which is also an awesome name, but mm-hmm. with Blaze being a disc jockey, uh, you know, it's not, it makes a lot of sense is what I'm getting at. Um, yeah. you know, I, I didn't think that the $500,000 low budget was, which there were a lot of great movies made for like that much at the time, but yeah. or around yeah. that. Uh, but I didn't think it really looked particularly terrible or at least the mm-hmm. look wasn't like distractingly bad. Um, there is a kill. I can't remember spe- the specifics, but there is a kill where uh, they find a, a, like a dead person in like a an alley. Am I remembering this correctly? Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Uh, like that looks cool when they find her. <laughs> but here, right, here here's yeah. the thing, and and I want to come back to this because uh, before we started recording, listeners, uh, Joe and I both were like, we don't really have a whole lot to say about these movies. <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. there's just not a lot of substance. To New Year's Evil, mm-hmm. I'll talk about Trick or Treat yeah. is a little different, but I don't have di- I don't have a lot to say for different reasons, I guess. Uh, yeah. But but New Year's Evil is your kind of prototypical uh, like, and I say B level, even though everyone considered like Friday the Thirteenth and all of those like drive in movies B level movies, but this is like sure. B level slasher, you know. <laughs> and yeah. so it's like there are like yeah, a ton yeah. of slashers around this movie that are better. And this, all this really does is it has the premise of every certain amount of time someone's going to die. And um, honestly, like the payoff or the reveal or whatever you want to say at the end is super yeah. lame. How did you feel about it's Without horrible. saying what it is, yeah. how did you yeah. feel about the payoff? Because folks, as we all know, like a lot of times you either have something like Halloween where you know who the killer is up front. Or you have yeah. something like Scream, where you have no idea the killer is, but there's like a reveal at some point. This yeah, is more in the yeah. Scream territory, and n- not yeah. by quality, but I mean just yeah. on that broad terms. How did you feel yeah, about the, the reveal? Yeah, it, it was it was terrible, and and the the thing of it is is that the identity of the killer is is given away. Like you see the killer's face throughout the movie, um, and you like you recognize the killer's face. You just don't know who he is until the very end. Yeah, the reveal of who he is and his motives are just really ridiculous. You know, like 
it doesn't it doesn't match up you know like what the he would have to know like based on like let's just say it like this this guy this killer's life and the reason why he's doing stuff is pretty stupid given where like given his lot in life and i mean you can you can say you know well he's you know he's a lunatic or he's a psychopath or what he's mentally ill whatever it just doesn't make sense that he would that like given what this guy's life is that he would do this you know even even if you know he's been wronged in the way that he feels like he's been wrong what he's giving up to do this is <laughs> you know like he's not really gaining any measurable kind of real revenge or anything yeah. just kind of like he's just screwing up stuff it's it's just it it reeks of just being a plot device that's like hmm nobody will see this particular thing coming let's just make it this so yeah it's just bad there's just there's just no it's just like we're picking this because it'll have shock value it'll be surprising and there's no real logic or or you know you know if you if you go you know if you look at scream and we can reveal i mean scream is famous enough we can re, you know we can reveal right so sure. it's that the first one anyway it's it's sydney's boyfriend and um and best friend working together like it makes sense on i mean it's it's not the smartest thing but it still makes sense you know he he has some explanation as to why it you know it makes sense like he's getting revenge on people and you know like for what he sees is like his mother's death you know happening and you know in the wrong hands but in this movie it's just kind of like because i feel like it that's why ha 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 it's like okay that's i mean he he gives some half-baked reason but and i honestly i don't even remember what it is and, and it was stupid anyway i just remember completely rolling my eyes and going oh that's who the guy is well that's something yeah and you know it was not interesting yeah yeah and i remember what it is i won't give it away of course uh you can go watch this movie i want to say i watched new year's evil for the the first time uh with a a group of friends who are huge much more horror fans than me right and Mm -hmm. i I like horror now i didn't used to like years ago but i've grown to really love horror but i don't love all horror. like i'm not one who just loves everything you like even more than i do because you're like more of a Mm -hmm. horror fan than me but um I do like, you know, going back and watching old slashers. I watched uh, Friday the 13th Part 1 twice in the last year or something, Mm -hmm. and I enjoy that. Uh, I watched two for the first time since I was, like, a single-digit child, like nine or something. Um, In, in like, the last several months, uh, like last summer, I think, I watched Part 3. I enjoyed those. You know, I just rewatched Halloween on Sunday. Uh, phenomenal. Like, I love that movie so much. I think it's like yeah. a goddamn masterpiece. But, yeah. like, you watch stuff like this, and it's like, it can be fun with people who love horror and with people who are there exclusively to, like, make fun of this movie and just have a good time. I think that that is the extent of the merits I give it, right? Like, if you go yeah. into this because you want to watch kind of like a bad horror movie and see some murders and hear some ridiculous plot twists and watch some wannabe punk posers, like, it can be fun. Because the first time I watched yeah. it, it was fun. And even whenever you told me you were choosing this, and I believe I texted you, uh, yeah, it's kind of terrible, but I had a good time with it or something, something along those lines. And, you know, now I have, like, kind of a different view because I didn't watch it with other people. So it's like, yeah. watching this movie by yourself kind of sucks. 
<laughs> it kind of yeah, sucks. Yeah, really. Uh, because it's like you don't at least get that experience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's like the extent of New Year's Evil for me. You have this plot. It plays out. It has really convoluted, ridiculous, half-baked uh, plot devices and, and, and points. Um, the characters... It's not even that the characters are boring. It's just the performances are so bad. It's really hard mm-hmm. to like attach to or care about anyone, especially whenever yeah. that dude puts like the red pantyhose on his head, and you're just like, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> like, yeah. like it's just yeah. like such a weird thing, but not weird in the way that I love. Not weird in yeah. the way that it would enhance it. It's just like random, and it yeah. it is of no benefit to the film to me. Yeah, and, yeah, and there's not really any kind of payoff to that either. No, like you know, like you might think, oh, like this means this is the guy who's the killer, or like maybe, like, you know, maybe in a like this is the replacement killer after this other killer is dispatched. You know, maybe he's gonna be, and maybe that was a plan they had. You know, I don't know, but it was, yeah, it was very poorly done. It was very, yeah, it was like you said, very out of nowhere, and and really to serve no real purpose. Um, it, you know, and you touched on those those other, uh, you know, the, the other kind of more classic slashers. And this is, this is very much, you know, it's hitting in 1980. It's very much right in the wake of Halloween being one of those, let's make a movie based on a holiday with a, where someone is killing people over holidays. So yeah, um, certainly fits. This certainly is one of those films. This is, you know, this is came out the same year, I believe as the, the first Friday the 13th. Correct. Um, and so, yeah, this is very much just a, like another Halloween knockoff. Yes, yeah. you know, does it stand up to the? Yeah, I mean, this same year you had Friday the Thirteenth, I believe Maniac, the original Maniac was this year. Yeah. It might have been eighty one. I think it was eighty though. Uh, there were several mm-hmm. like that that definitely came out of yeah. the wake of Halloween. Uh, if you have, if listeners, if you have Netflix, if you don't know about the show, or even if you do but didn't know they added these, uh, the movies that made us, they have a. It's super cheesy, but I actually really love that show. Um, and yeah. they have a lot of movies, but recently they just did some horror stuff. So uh, A Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, yeah. but they did a Halloween one. Yeah. And I encourage you to go check out Halloween just to see how this movie came to be and why it is the way it is. And maybe if you're not a huge Halloween fan and you're like, why did Joe and Austin like that movie so much? Watch that, because when you see yeah. what the hell that movie went through and then it ended mm-hmm. up as good as it is, uh, I'm yeah. actually really, really, I'm like more impressed. And I say all that to say, you'll also see why a movie like New Year's Evil, which is still one of the few New Year's specific mm-hmm. horror movies I even know of, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. um, because the thing with Halloween is every Halloween after 78, you could show it in theaters because it's so themed, right? So mm-hmm. you could keep watching Halloween the same way you would with like Christmas Vacation or something like yeah. that for, um, and we'll get into that when we talk about Trick or Treat here in a moment. But yeah, uh, but yeah so with New Year's Evil, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the thought, like man, it to catch on and to be a tradition. Unfortunately, yeah. it is not, <laughs> and it will not be a yeah. tradition uh, for me. It seems like no. we both kind of felt like this was a stinker, Joe. Yeah, very much. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I chose this just because it was one of those movies. And, you know, I was just kind of, uh, you know, I just, kind of, I, I, and, you know, like I've been watching a lot of those, a lot of slasher films recently. I watched, you know, Halloween Tills, of course, just came out. And, you know, I've watched that a couple of times. And then I went back and watched um, a couple of, I watched Friday the 13th, part three, just a few days ago. Um, 
you know, just like, just as a, just because just kind of randomly it, it was on, it just came on after I was watching something else. And, and I was like, okay, why not? And I just kind of watched <laughs> And I, and I love that movie, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's terrible, but it's, but it's so much fun because of the, the 3D and the goofy, like non 3D effects. Um, it makes it stand, you know, and, and it's funny that, that the Friday the 13th all seem to have something like that. Even like part two is kind of dull by comparison, I think to, you know, even if you get into three, you know, three, four, five, six for, cause uh, my, it's funny, my son, just asked me um, earlier today what my favorite Friday the 13th was. And I was like, you know, it's probably four or five or six. And I forgot, I left out three. I should have included three, but all of those together are just, they're just goofy and they're all fun. And someone kind of lays out in each of those movies, right? Like they just give it their all to the extent that, I mean, you know, someone who's not a great actor just gives it all their all and just goes all out. And and it, it makes the movies more kind of than they should be. Um, or maybe there's, you know, a creative kill or two or three or, you know, something like that. And it's just like this movie just has none of that. It just has people. They're just going through the motions. They're just doing stuff. It's it, you, know, you can tell it's kind of a job for all of them. And there's just nothing particularly interesting that stands out about any of it. The closest thing, as we said, is the red pantyhose, which is just like, eh. yeah. Or even if you have something like uh, like Donald Pleasance in Halloween, which I don't think he yes. was happy about doing that movie, but uh-huh. he's so good, he can just yeah. pull it off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And we yeah. Did, unfortunately and he grew to love that. Yeah, yeah, and we unfortunately yeah. have no comparable actor or act yes. like actors in this movie that can pull that off. Uh, we'll come back. We'll come back to Friday the Thirteenth and stuff. I think because I have a few things. I also want to get yeah. your thoughts on Halloween Kills. We'll do that at the end because uh, right. we talked about it last week. I wanted to give you a chance to talk about it because I know you watched it. Yeah. But we're gonna come back in just a moment. We're gonna talk about my pick, Trick or Treat. I cannot wait to see how you felt about this, Joe. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right, Trick or Treat. Okay, I keep enunciating that specifically. There is a movie called Trick or Treat from the 80s. Very different movie. Um, Trick or Treat from 2011. What? 2000s. I'm not drinking. Okay. It's a lucky number, I've heard. (laughs) No, from Trick or Treat from 2007. Whoa. Uh, slash 2009. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, written and directed by Michael Darty. Uh, uh, cast is Anna Paquin, Brian Cox, Dylan Baker. I love Dylan Baker, by the way. I, I uh, yeah, especially in in a, an extremely controversial performance in Happiness. I forget. Have you mm-hmm. seen Happiness? I've not seen Happiness. That no. might be a movie that I make you watch sometime, dude. It's <laughs> right. dark, dude. And he is great. But I, I love Dylan Baker. If you don't know who he is, uh, like Google him. You'll find you'll know exactly who. Release date was December 9th, 2007. And it was at a film festival. And I specifically put the festival because I think it's hilarious. But Numathon. The But Numathon Film Festival. Never yeah. heard of this before, but that's very funny. Yeah. Uh, but then it it came it released wide or whoa 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 sorry in L A specifically uh-huh. um, outside of the festival circuit October fourth two thousand nine so you'll see both yeah. dates if I say two thousand seven that's what it says on IMDb but if you go to like Amazon or something and it says two thousand nine it's the same movie um, but um, yeah and then it was like 
within that month, it was immediately released a DVD. So this wasn't some big theatrical thing. And um, and it was a budget of $12 million, which is a pretty sizable... I mean, it's not a big budget by any means, but it's a pretty, you know, it. it I think you see it, and, and it's good. I have no box office numbers for this, probably because it literally had, like, very little to no, like, theater presence. So uh, the film focuses on four interwoven stories that occur on Halloween. First, an everyday high school principal has a secret life as a serial killer. Next, a college virgin might have just found the one guy for her, Joe. Uh, next, a group of teenagers pull a mean prank, and then finally, a bitter old recluse receives an uninvited guest. I'm being as vague as possible, and I stole that from Letterboxd because I thought that was a pretty decent explanation. Yeah. Now, there are some really fun gross-outs in this movie, but overall, I personally found it to be pretty boring. Uh, with the exception of a few moments, and we will talk about those, of course. Uh, this surprised me because I chose the film for two reasons. One... Because on Letterboxd, people were actually raving about this. And I've seen this cover since it came out. Like, I, I've known about this movie, but I had zero reason to watch it. Uh, but the other reason is because my friends wanted to watch a triple feature, Halloween being one of those that I watched. And they wanted to watch Trick or Treat. It's the only movie on the list that I hadn't seen. And you yeah. had given me your title. So I was like, all right, let's do Trick or Treat. I'm going to watch it anyways. And we'll, you know, two birds and all that jazz. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. the problem is what this film offers, basically. I don't find it particularly entertaining. And we'll dive into this after we talk about the movie more, uh, Joe. Yeah. But it's not that it's so much doing these things poorly. I just think it's mostly ineffective. And I want to talk about it a bit. But, Joe, I want your thoughts on my pick first. Now, many mm -hmm. people have made this uh, a new Halloween tradition to watch it, much like Christmas Vacation or Christmas Story for Christmas. Trick or Treat is one of their Halloween traditions. Needless to say, yeah. it won't be for me. But how about you, Joe? How do you feel about Trick or Treat? Yeah, I I mostly enjoyed it, I guess. Um, <laughs> it was, um, it, this isn't something groundbreaking. It's not something I'm going to be like, oh, this is a Halloween classic. This is great. I But I have with it more or less um it, you know it was it, it's something that's been done you know a few times um you know and, and the, the the kind of the fun thing that I, I realized about this is that um this this movie i think sort of sprung out of superman returns um you know brian singer directed superman returns michael dougherty i believe wrote superman returns or was the co-writer and it came out in 06, so this movie came out in 07, the year after. So I think, at the very least, they were planning this at Legendary Pictures, which also did Superman Returns. So I, I think there was something connected with that. Um, you, you know, if nothing else, just that, hey, the filmmakers were sitting there and, and doing their thing and um, were like, hey, let's I have this movie, let's make it. Um, so there you go. I, I recognize that, at least watching this, um, you know, as you said, there's a couple of nice actors. Um, you know, I, I too enjoy Dylan Baker. Um, Anna Paquin is fun for the most part. And, and Brian Cox is very good. He's actor. great. Yeah. 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 He's great. He's Even in this, I think he's great. Yeah. 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 He's one of those guys where you're like, every time you see him, you're like, okay, the movie is a little better for him being in it. Um, Leslie Bibb is also in it. Who, who has been in a few things um, at the very beginning. Um, she has the, if, if I can say she has sort of the Drew Barrymore role, um, 
without really saying much more than that. Um, but I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. it. It was fun um, for the most part. But there were times where I was kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of bored. Um, it, it picked up in, in spots. And there's other places where I was just like, eh, okay. And then it ended. And I was like, yeah, okay. I see what they were trying to do. It was kind of fun. Um, it, it could have been something that I felt like I should watch more often and watch a lot, but kind of ultimately I'm going to be like, nah, I mean, I saw it and I'm fine. Um, the, the Sam, uh, the, the little child with the, I don't know, he sort of looks like a scary Tootsie Pop. <laughs> He's got this very round head with a burlap sack and, and an orange body. And he has like this pumpkin sucker. That's almost like a weapon that, you know, I was just like, ah, okay. He's not as quite as scary as he could be, no. but, but, the, I, but I think it's a wasted opportunity. So I, here's what it I want to do. Here's what I want to do. I want to go through each of the parts because, okay. because this, so I want to say this also, I like the structure actually, and I'll explain why real quick. Yeah. I like the structure. Unfortunately, this does not save the movie for me, but I like okay. the structure because we meet a character at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, we have seen several scenes play the other side or the other perspective of what we yes. saw earlier. So we might see from the the serial killer principal, uh, played by Dylan Baker. Uh, we we you know we see someone in a window banging on it, yelling for him, and then later. Yeah we see that character from their perspective and what the context, yes. I actually really love yes. that. I actually yeah, really yeah. like that. Unfortunately, it's not, it only works there for me. <laughs> yeah, cause, yeah. cause, um, cause like the, the overlap with like, speaking of boring parts, the Anna Paquin sequence, it's not that she's bad, mm-hmm. but dude, yeah. I, the, that whole virgin storyline is the most pointless of the bunch. Um, yeah. could that, I want I want you to defend it if you feel differently, okay? Or correct me if you think yeah. I'm wrong. But I feel like that virgin storyline could easily be tossed out. It seemed like a reason to give a character their comeuppance. And yeah. um, I don't even think I can explain why it exists, really, other than the comeuppance part, because it seems yeah. so disjointed. And this is kind of an anthology, but, like, kind of not. Because if you have, like, yeah. ABCs of Death or, or VHS or any of those, those are completely separate, usually. Yes. Completely separate yes. stories. And it's just, like, you get to see several shorts kind of put together yeah. and joined by, like, the horrific nature or something. This actually yeah. ties together. It could be, like, one movie, but it's so mm-hmm. disjointed it feels like an anthology. So it's like yeah. that weird in between where it's like, I don't think this works fully as either one. So it's left uh-huh. in this weird spot. But the Anna Paquin like virgin sequence, mm-hmm. I just don't get why that's there. I think that's yeah. other than like they got Anna Paquin or something. Right. Like, why do you yeah. do you have any feelings about that? Because that one actually annoyed me. I found it very boring. Yeah, yeah. yeah to the to yeah, for the same reason. It, it yeah, it's it's just kind of there. Um and it, yeah, of, of the stories, and I don't know the the next one too, maybe um, the the one about the kids, and you know the, that was one where I was also kind of like, uh, you know, um, yeah, but it 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 feels like they're trying to do a how do I say this? They're trying to do like a pulp fiction of horror movies, of slasher movies, where there are these of these stories that 
maybe on their surface aren't necessarily related, but also they are completely and they, and they cross over every now and then, but you know, there's like their their own little their own their their own little narrative that you know that kind of crosses. Obviously, it's not done nearly. I don't want to you know put it as pulp as the the pulp fiction of horror movies or or slasher movies for you know any reason other than than that sort of technique they use because it's not near done nearly as well as pulp fiction is obviously, and and it's not you know it's not nearly as tight. It's it's just more like there's a thread there, and then that thread goes to this other which is maybe kind of engaging and maybe kind of um yeah but they they all kind of they, they all kind of drag to me a little bit in the middle even even the 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 one with with dylan baker is that really the yeah let's talk it, about it, that it drags, go, go into that yeah. one though because i want to start there we'll probably skip sure, yeah. the virgin one because there's just nothing to talk about but the, yeah. start there because that's where i wanted to go talk about the dylan uh, baker principal sequence because yeah. i actually sure. Well, I'll let you go first. Go ahead. Okay, sure. Yeah. So, um, so I was I was very happy also to see uh, Brett Kelly, who I know from uh, Bad Santa as Thurman Merman, you know, the kid. Um, he he's also in that sequence as as this victim, and I it's supposed to be funny, like he's he's he murders this kid, and then he's trying to dispose of his body, but then his own son is there, and there's this thing where he's also going to kill his son and I'm like I don't really get that like I don't I don't other than he's just like he hates kids but there's no real there's no real thing that we see to kind of justify that you know like he, he hates kids because he's a principal I guess and you know but it's just kind of like he's doing this thing and we're just supposed to buy that he's doing it for whatever reason and then things keep jumping in his way and interrupting him. And then in the meantime, maybe his victim victim or victims are not quite dead. And so he's got to like struggle with that. And the, the comedy doesn't quite work. It, this whole sequence is just kind of long and drawn out. <laughs> where It's like, it's like this body disposal sequence. And it's like, I'm going to throw you in this hole in my backyard that no one is suspicious of whatsoever. But like, there's a dog barking and it's like the things he does it just seems like it would make things a lot more difficult for him than it would potentially helping him. <laughs> you know, it's like, who cares if there's a dog barking randomly? Like, it's not like, you know, but, but anyway, yeah, I just, I just kind of found that whole thing to be, again, as, as like something that could have been fun and a lot better than it was, but in the end it was kind of like, well, it wasn't a terrible try necessarily, but, I don't really, at the same time, I'm not really feeling it that much. Sure. <clears throat> I think, I don't think it's good either. <laughs> no. um, but I, the re, the slog is what I was surprised by, because that one actually went by so fast mm -hmm. that I never had a chance to like get bored, per se, for me. Okay. But I wasn't, like you said, man, none of that comedy lands. Yeah. Like, not, like it's almost like it's played seriously. Yeah. And I don't, it's like, are you trying to be funny? Like, cause it feels right. that way. Like you said, because like, yeah, yeah, his kid interrupts him and then like a neighbor interrupts him and like, there are right. all the, you know, and then, yeah, like you said, like it is, is the victim dead or not? And, uh, right. but, but it, even whenever uh, he's talking, like the opening of that little sequence, not counting the complete intro of the movie, which I'll just mm -hmm. let people see, but sure. Uh, you see the, the 
future victim, like knocking these pumpkins off, like these jack o' lanterns off, right? He's like being an asshole. Yeah. So I just thought he was like this, you know, serial killer principal, like getting back at this mm-hmm. asshole kid, kind of like what you said. Like I work with all these assholes, and this one is the one I can get to. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's like this little spin at the end, and I didn't really like give a shit. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of yeah. like that sums up kind of the whole thing for me. Um, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump forward. You can obviously go back if you need to oh. to this. But well, uh, let, let me let me just say that it's it's kind of tough to pull off child murder for comedic effect. You know, it's kind of tough. <laughs> you know, like you have to have a certain attitude that this movie really doesn't have. Um, if you're gonna pull something like that off, you, there's a, there's a certain DGAF kind of you know kind of attitude that that some movies could maybe pull that off. This one feels like it wants to be pretty mainstream and it does that kind of stuff. And it just becomes, let's say, off-putting more than anything else. Yeah. It was weird. I, I, I'm i a sick bastard, apparently, because I don't really, I didn't, I just found it boring. So it was like, uh-huh. yeah, I just don't like even care enough for mm-hmm. it. But you're right. I think it does like... Yeah. For other people that might not be as sick bastard as I am, uh, I think that's a hang up possibly because like i don't know yeah. the whole thing's weird um and again we're gonna be coming back to this which is why i'm just moving forward um mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm gonna be kind of painting back to each of these but then you have the group of teenagers which you mentioned was kind of a slog for you kind of like the uh the virgin one i didn't care for this until the fourth story and i felt mm-hmm. like it actually carried a lot of weight um yeah. Except that sequence is like 20 plus minutes Mm -hmm. and only one attribute of the third chunk of the four parts, right? The third part, only one attribute of it relates to the film. The rest of it is these kids being dumb and doing pranks. Right. And that's boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. like again every single like there is a core thread and in every mm-hmm. one of these the thread is the most interesting part to me so i th- actually i never thought of pulp fiction that's actually really a good comparison again not by quality nothing yeah. other than you have three disjointed stories that are somehow tied together through time and characters mm-hmm have no actual yeah. like they don't share any kind of lifeblood uh they're all their yeah. own thing and that that's what this is for sure mm-hmm. but the the third sequence with the the mean prank thing all of the stuff outside of the the bus accident and mm-hmm. driver I'll just say it vaguely I guess um all of that extra stuff around it like do you is there anything like how did you feel about all of that because i'm assuming and correct me if i'm wrong here but i'm also going to assume that you felt the same as me that the only interesting parts were what i just pointed out but did you just find the whole thing mm-hmm. irrelevant or how, how did you feel about this third part i guess yeah i yeah i kind of did um i kind of just felt that i was just like eh, okay um yeah, these kids, okay, these kids are being jerks. These kids are doing this and that. And it's, you know, it's just a thing that's happening. That's <laughs> kind of how I feel. I guess I didn't like this movie quite as much as I thought I did. <laughs> the more I'm talking about it, I, I kind of <laughs> feel 
the same way, just maybe like leaning a little more positive. But I'm also like, yeah, there's not a whole lot that I was just like impressed by. Um, the maybe kind of the the twisty end of the the virgin sequence was kind of fun. Um, but the rest of it, like you said, was just kind of dull. And then it just transitions into this next one that was that to me, I was just like, I just don't care a whole lot about this. <laughs> you know, I just don't have any, I'm just not in any way kind of um I don't know, uh, it touched by it in any way whatsoever. You know, it's just kind of like that was a thing that was there and okay, it kind of had a beginning, middle, and end. And you know, and then and then it was almost feels like a, a tacked on kind of um connection to the rest of it, but you know, I okay, that was something else that happened. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it didn't, it didn't, none of it really rang all that true to me, you know, as something that was fun, you know, like, like given the end of, of that sequence, the, the one with all the kids, like given, I guess, given what happens, the, the resolution of the story still kind of feels not quite right. You know, it, it feels like it's not really earned. Um, the, the kids weren't quite bad enough. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, it, yeah, I just I just kind of it was the same way. I just kind of felt, OK, that was the thing that I saw. Yeah. The, the again, if this is third, if this is 20 minutes long, we'll say only four or five minutes of it was I interested in because mm -hmm. everything that happens outside of this bus and the mm -hmm. driver which, again, yeah. I didn't even really care about in the moment, okay? Yeah. But, again, as we continue the movie, much like in the Serial Killer Principal episode where there are a section where we see a tie-in, there is kind of mm -hmm. a tie-in to this one. Again, there is an extremely loose tie-in in the Virgin one. I, that didn't even have to exist. I'm just, like, mm -hmm. still, like, butthurt about that. I think I might have liked this section a little more than you, but I still don't like it. Okay. Because <laughs> like, uh, we're both like on the same, because everything you just said, I agree with. Like it just is yeah. a lot of tacked on. Dude, mm -hmm. here's what it is. It's like watching, um, every, it's like they had a short film in mind and they're like, okay, cool. Why don't we expand on this and add stuff mm -hmm. to it so that we can yeah. make it a feature? Like make mm -hmm. this a short for me, <laughs> like uh, like have a three part yeah. short or something, and I'll just like watch it thirty minutes or whatever. Like I just don't think that this movie needs to be a full movie. And quite frankly, I don't even understand what people really love about this because I mm -hmm. don't think that there are that interesting of kills, and a lot of people care about that. I don't yeah. think that there's a great atmosphere or tension in this. And the closest mm -hmm. we get to that is in the part I'm about to get to, which is the bitter old Rick. Uh, recluse that uh receives an uninvited guest now the yeah. the tootsie roll monster that you're talking about which is like pumpkin head uh -huh. basically um yeah. he reminds me of the like uh the ghost kids if you will from the orphanage they have uh -huh. like the big burlap okay. sacks this is different of yeah. course uh it's a bit more strategic but i actually liked what they did with this little twerp Okay, yeah. and in this sequence, uh -huh. okay, all the other ones was tacked on, but this one, because yeah. all of the attempts to tie all of these four stories together is a joke. Mm -hmm. I just don't think it works. But this one, again, we have Brian Cox, who's great. 
the fourth bit is where we actually start to see the context that helps us understand the different, like now we're seeing all of those other elements from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the context of the sequence gives purpose to the film, even though you can't really justify the majority of what happens, but the plot points Mm -hmm. make sense. And I actually was pretty all right with this one. I mean, it's ridiculous and I, I, I could tear it apart in many ways, but I just on an entertainment level, I actually had a pretty decent time with this, in large part because unless I was completely fooled, there yeah. are practical effects used in this sequence. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. all I'll say is we see a... I'll speak vaguely. We see a villain that is not human. I'll just say it that way. And yeah. whenever you see its head turn and the eyes are blinking and the way the mouth is moving, I'm like, this looks like it's from the 80s, but just technologically advanced to now right and i actually yeah. really loved that i have to i have to say there's no weight to this okay <laughs> i don't think there's any yeah. weight to this any of these stories at all um i get why some people would make it like a tradition uh just because it, it can be maybe a fun thing to watch with people i watched it with people and still found it pretty boring um but this sequence with brian cox uh just because again you get the wrap up of, of certain aspects of the movie. Um, you get to see a bit more of a villain in the movie. Um, again, not that there's any weight to it really, but I, I mean, yeah, like you said, the, the, the lollipop as a weapon uh, is like, mm-hmm. that's what we're dealing with here. So when I say that uh, I, out of all four, this is probably my favorite part. The bar is mm-hmm. kind of low. But I'm curious, yeah. what do you think of this final section here? Yeah, it, kind of the same. Where I was like, yeah, it, it does feel like there's more happening. It's it feels it feels a little leaner and more to the point. Yeah. Uh, and and it connect it connected in a there was kind of a fun way that it connected with the previous part. Um, as you said, the the it was the first part with the the principal. Um, <clears throat> there it there's kind of a it, it's a little more fun in that way. Um, the the action of what's going on is a little more fun too, but yeah, and in, in sort of a yeah, like you said, in the in a the bar is pretty low kind of way. There's just a lot of um, things happening. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's not really one thing that's happening, but the within that that little story, there's a bunch of little things going on that that are occasionally fun and um, and also just kind of like yeah, okay, I guess. So yeah, that's it's funny. That's yeah. about what I have. The whole thing. If if it uh, if if it stands out to anyone in some way where I'm like praising this movie in any way, I gave this movie like a two out of five. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like like I. Seems about right. I mean, I don't really like this movie, uh, but yeah. I was I I can say that it's weird because I can't even really say I think I like it more than New Year's Evil. But at least New Year's Evil's like terrible in like an '80s way, and I can kind of just like sit back and just like be like, "This is kind of boring." But at least it's like an '80s way boring, whereas this yeah. is like a modern day boring, and that's like worse mm. to me. Like I would rather watch a bad yeah. '80s movie than a bad mm. '2000s movie any day. So yeah, I don't even know which one I like better. Do you have a preference between the two? Yeah. I ask as you start yawning. Yeah, <laughs> I would. I, yeah, I I would call. I would call this a two and a half, maybe out of five. 
Um, and I mean, and, and New Year's Evil is like a one, you know, like <laughs> it was just, it's, it's just bad. But, but again, given, I guess, given the option of like, if you're going to watch one of these again, I'd probably watch this one again, just, I don't know, just because there's a little more going on. I don't know. That's fair. But it, it, it's not for any other reason. It's not because it's, I think it's markedly better. I guess it, I guess it's markedly better in the sense that the overall quality of it is higher. It's, it's doing more. There's, there seems like there's more talent involved there than New Year's Evil, but and the the execution is marginally better, but it's not anything great, you know. Any means it, it's it, you know it, it's it's better just by default almost. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know, listeners. If you've if you've seen either New Year's Evil or Trick or Treat and you agree or disagree with this, please hit us up because I would love to hear why you love or, uh, either one of these or you hate them or whatever your feelings are because I would love to get more perspectives. I was I was tricked. There was no treat here. I was tricked mm-hmm. with trick or treat by Letterboxd because I, like, again, I was planning on picking something like Inside from 2000, I think, six or seven, whichever. Okay. Or yeah. I was going to pick some, I was even almost going to do The Fog because you and Evan told me to watch it. But then I was already going to yeah, watch yeah. this, and Letterboxd is like, people just love this movie. Not everyone, of course, but <laughs> it was a lot of fours uh, to five, like a lot of those. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, man, that's maybe this is like a little gem. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Not for me, buddy. It's just not yeah. me. And I want to talk a little bit about that here uh, in a moment. We're going to go ahead and take just a quick break, and then I want to have a little sum up with you, okay? Uh, okay? Just about like horror and slashers, because Trick or Treat is a little, it's more than a slasher. But it still kind of fits into that kind of conversation. We'll have that conversation here in a minute. We'll be right back. All right, so Joe, uh, I'm excited to talk about this because uh, slashers have never been my genre of choice. Um, but you know, with it, it, you know, in the wake of Halloween Kills and all of the polarizing love and hate for that movie, and uh, you know, having rewatched the original Halloween and having watched these movies we're talking about today, I want to first get your perspective on Halloween Kills. Just to kind of, yeah. uh, you didn't get a chance to talk about it last week. Uh, JB and I did. If you haven't listened to that episode and you want to hear our thoughts, go check it out. It is in our. Uh, you can find it wherever you're listening to this. It's last episode. But Joe, we didn't get your thoughts, mm-hmm. and I know you wanted to talk about it. So give us yeah. your thoughts on that before I get into my thoughts about general slashers. Yeah, How did you feel yeah. about Halloween I, Kills? I really loved Halloween Kills. Um, I had a great time. I've I've watched it. You know, obviously it's it's available on Paramount Plus. So I have that right. Peacock. It's on Peacock. Peacock, yeah. And I've I've watched it. I think four times now. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it, it. It's funny because it's it, it's very much a retread of a lot of elements of, of the other Halloween movies. Although, you know, again, as we've said, the only Halloween movie that, ex- that exists in this particular timeline is the original 78 Halloween and then, and then the, the predecessor from 2018 for this one. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff, you know, they, they use the kind of the lynch mob deal in Halloween 4, 
there's a lot, you know, so there's a lot of that. Um, they, you know, they bring back a, a quasi Loomis, which was like, okay, um, which was fine the way they did it. It was surprisingly fine the way they did it. Surprisingly believable. I was like, did they yeah. just CG Donald Pleasant's face on someone until they did a yeah. close up at one point? I'm like, yo, that's a different dude. That's really well done. I was yeah. impressed because when yeah. you, real quick, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but when sure, you see yeah. him at the bottom of the stairs, and he like looks up and he's talking to the cops that you know one uh, accidentally shot the other. I guess spoiler yeah. alert, but it's at the freaking beginning of the movie. It doesn't matter. Right. Anyways, the point is, whenever you see him at the bottom of the stairs, I thought they CG'd that mofo in there. That's yeah. really well done. Yeah. Go ahead though. Yeah, yeah, very well done. Yeah, um, but but they but they still within that did something different, and and that was a lot of fun. Um, going back and retconning just a tick, you know, it it kind of shows you. Um, you know, they, they kind of show you their version of what happened after the end of Halloween, you know, where, you know, obviously it, it would be easy to, and kind of confusing even to, to throw some of the Halloween two um, into that. But this really kind of, kind of lets that step away to a, a greater degree um, while still having that Halloween two element with the, um, you know, with the hospital and, you know, that being kind of the, that kind of being like the, the home base, so to speak. Um, but, I loved the way the lynch mob thing worked. I loved how they had Tommy Doyle and, and Lindsay and, and then the nurse. Um, the way they did it somehow didn't just feel like fan service. It felt kind of real. Um, and it was just fun. It was just a lot of fun. It was a lot more brutal. Um, you know, it, it, it almost, it didn't quite veer into Rob Zombie territory as far as the brutality, but it got sort of in the neighborhood a few times, but I, but it didn't feel as nihilistic and, and angry and um, just mean as, you know, it was still a fun time, uh, you know, as that stuff was going on, it still felt fun, um, which is kind of a hard line to walk. Um, and, and it's what, uh, you know, honestly for me, what, what works the least about the Rob Zombie movies is that brutality and, and the way that it, the way that it's, it just feels cruel and mean as opposed to, um, you know, the, the way a slasher movie should kind of be fun. Um, and this kind of maintains that it manages to maintain that while amping up that, that brutality a little bit. So, um, so I, I enjoyed it on a lot of levels. I, I enjoyed the, the way they, um, the way they handled the Lori and Michael, um, and, you know, in setting up the, the third film in this, you know, little thing, the slash four, I don't know how we want to say that. Um, is this Halloween three coming is Halloween ends Halloween three or Halloween four. It's, Halloween it's the four. third in this trilogy. It is the fourth yeah. in the new canon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, so it, it manages to be different while still having some echoes thematically, which which I really liked. Um, so I, I had a great yeah, count me firmly in the I loved it category. If, the, if there's a lot of you know love slash hate um, and, and I really I really liked it. They did some surprising things that, that I thought was fun. Um, they they made Michael somehow human and not. And that was really good. I thought that was really well done. Um, the mask was probably the best mask. I, I actually talked to Evan, um, Evan and Sam and, and Nick, my my three buddies that we you know we discuss a lot. Who obviously have been you know two thirds of them have been on here a handful of times at least. Um, I you know talked to them and I was like, I think that's the best mask of the entire series. Even counting the first one, let's even count the first one. Um, the, the mask looked the best. <laughs> there was never a time where I was like, ah, oh, the mask kind of looks crappy here. Um, which is hard to do in a in a Halloween movie because almost all the other ones, save the first one, have moments at least where I'm like that mask kind of sucks. 
Um, so really, I just loved everything about it. Um, I'm excited for Halloween ends um, coming out next year, and um, I I can't really wait. And I think it fits very well into kind of the overall slasher genre. Yeah, I, I'm not going to recap what I said because I did a whole episode, but I will just say this. You clearly liked it more than me, but I I was on the positive end. So if I had to, if gun to my head, positive or negative, binary, black and white, positive. In yeah. large part, and I'll just to help make your point, it feels like a traditional good slasher. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing I'm going to give it as a perk and what I've kind of pushed, still encourage people to check it out because I think that this one for me uh, really is going to rely on how good or bad Halloween ends is for me. Yeah. Um, like this movie could be better or worse depending on how the third one plays this out because they signed mm-hmm. some checks in this one, brother. And if they don't yeah. cash them, if they can't cash mm-hmm. them, it's it might just hurt this movie for me. So, yeah. uh, you know, again, so far I'm on the positive side, even though I wasn't a huge fan. But this ties into kind of the larger conversation I wanted to have briefly before we end this episode. With slashers, I've always had a bit of trouble with them because unless they're really excellently done, like the original Halloween or a nightmare on Elm street or, uh, you know, again, I'm not nearly as big a, a Friday the 13th fan as you folks and even my wife, but, mm-hmm. um, there are some of those movies that I, I do actually really enjoy. I am actually a fan of the first two. Um, but three's great. Like, like you said, like it's funny because three is kind of where the real Jason Voorhees is birthed. Yeah. And then it just kind of uh-huh. really starts to play. Uh, and like lean into that really hard, but I mm-hmm. the thing is like a movie that has cool kills, quote unquote, is like mm-hmm. not that is not gonna benefit the film at all for me. Like it sure. can be cool, but if that's all I'm getting, it's basically a saw film, and I just don't care. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. With the exception of like sometimes the special effects are fucking awesome, like Tom Savini mm-hmm. effects or something. Like yes, I love yeah. special effects, and if those are really well done. Or it's like really weird or or whatever. That's cool. Um, and uh, the kills and Halloween kills. Just to tie this in, not that we're still talking about it, but uh, you know, some of they are some of them are pretty brutal. JB brought this up on last week's episode that people are complaining that's mean spirited, and I thought the same thing that you were talking about. Yeah. Did they watch the Rob Zombie version? Because <laughs> I can still have fun with this, and that one is so yeah. cruel. And I'm not even, I'm not a prude, okay? Like, I'll watch some brutal stuff. It is not fun for me to watch that. Like, I just don't understand why it's fun to each their own. That's Mm. fine. Sure. But Halloween Kills does play that fairly well. And there are a few interesting, uh, like, I felt some of the kills. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, I'll just say the the staircase kill was uh, kind of intense, uh, you know. And I thought some of those were well done. Uh, but but even getting into the original Halloween, it's the little things, man, with slashers that mm-hmm. stick out to me. The reason I love Halloween and not a lot of others is because, mm-hmm. um, and, and because most are better than New Year's Evil, so I should like them to some extent. But the original Halloween, it's all of the like uh, well thought out shit with Michael. Uh, I love mm-hmm. that he's pure evil. Like yes, of course there is a human vessel but he assumes almost the powers this immortal power of this evil presence that is in this form right the shape right that's where we get the shape so yes um 
I love that quality. I love uh, that he's just always fucking around. Like, mm-hmm. no matter where you look, like, he's usually in a frame hidden somewhere, almost like a fucking Where's Waldo book. And you just like, yeah. oh, shit, Mike Myers is like, Michael, Mike Myers, Michael Myers is is right through the window. You know what I mean? And, like, you almost yeah. don't recognize it until you find him, and then you can't unsee it, right? Or that great yeah. sequence with Jamie Lee Curtis when she walks out of the room, she's leaning against the wall, and eventually, just in the barely dim light, you see the mask come into into, into yeah. sight, and... Dude, that and then the music, which for some people might find it cheesy these days, but I love John Carpenter's scores and I love that synthy yeah. vibe. And I love how it's used in Halloween Kills as well, or or the twenty eighteen. Yes. Like I like that they keep up that kind of like cheesy synthy eighties horror, right? Mm-hmm. Uh but in the yeah. original, like, dude, there's so many things I could point out. Like the the brilliant score, the cinematography, the placement, like the blocking where Michael is. That sequence where Jamie Lee Curtis is in the closet and Michael breaks through, that is intense to this day. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot going on in that movie. And it's not just yeah. kills, because quite frankly, none of the kills are that creative. So, <laughs> you know, right. other than like the butcher knife and holds the guy up, which is completely ridiculous. But even yeah. that sequence, you see Michael staring and almost admiring his work. Um, yeah. And like all of those little touches, especially for a film that has. I think I counted two scenes with a little bit of blood. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. a gory film. It's just, it's there. And JB was telling us he saw that movie in theaters when he was like, I don't remember how old he was, 16 or something. And he was talking about how like just pure fright, like people just felt frightened by this. So you couldn't Mm -hmm. trust the filmmaker to get you out of here alive. Like this is scary. And I can see that. Most slasher movies that I tend to watch and end up essentially making their, their, uh, their murderer or their killer like Jason Voorhees or Freddie or Michael Myers. Like it's not about the other people now it's about this character. And then how are they going to end the lives of their poor victims? Now in Freddie's case, it works because that motherfucker talks. So Mm -hmm. he's funny and you can do ridiculous things like kill someone in a video game or, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, right. like the ridiculous things that Freddy does. Uh, mm-hmm. I and, and you have the whole dream aspect of it. I mean, I just think that's super creative and super interesting. And that almost gets a pass entirely on the slasher level. Like I'm taking that out. But when you have something like Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees, and it really does become these annoying kids, he's going to kill them all and we're going to try to be creative. It just doesn't do much for me at all. And I'm curious, all of that was a very long digression. Um, but leading, I guess, to, I know you're a bigger fan of slashers. What about that? Just to give our listeners maybe a different side of it. What about that <laughs> do you like? Because you like them more than me, like I said. Yeah. But like, mm-hmm. what do you love about them? Because I'm just not quite to that love category, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it's I, I don't know. There the stories are always simple. Um, generally, the you know the having a simple kind of origin or jumping off point is what these movies are about, right? They're and it, it's just a matter of getting into that. It's just I mean, just cheap scares. It's just about being scared and having a good time. And you know, and I hate that I hate saying shut off your brain. But you can kind of do that a little bit with with most horror movies. Um, 
and and that's kind of a fun thing to do and that, that's something that that I enjoy is that it, it gives it's you know it's just that kind of to me that it's a visceral kind of you know the the scare is is anticipating that jump and yeah it's like okay it's not there are other ways to get to it but to you know to get to something like that without you know just being this in your face but I don't know that's just what I've always loved about them um is that they're just since I was a kid it was just something that is there just to scare you just to frighten you and in in a safe way <laughs> you know it's it's in a in kind of a safe and fun way and I just have always enjoyed that um so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I wish I had more. To say no, no, no. It. That's that's fine because I think yeah. part of the deal. I mean, you. I think you captured a lot of it. Um, and there's there's room for a lot of things. You know, Freddie and or uh, Jason and Michael Myers are similar in some respects. Um, you know, in terms of the way their movies are are structured generally. Obviously, the you know Michael Myers is a little more to me is is like the granddad, and he's he's the most like on the surface frightening to me. Um, just the methodical kind of faceless, I'm coming after you. Jason is a little more, Jason's a little more intense and, you know, but but also there's a little more room for fun, I think. Uh, his, his movies are less, you know, the Friday the 13th movies are, to me are maybe a touch less scary and a little more fun because there's a lot more in the chase. Um, and then Freddie is a different beast entirely Yeah, because like you said, because of the, the dream nature, you can do a lot more imaginative sort of things and, and go off in different directions. Um, so there's, there's fun to be had with all of those. Um, but there, you know, but also some, you know, some, some important distinctions and differences between them. Yeah. I, uh, did you watch a lot of them with friends? Like when you watched a lot of slashers or did you watch most of them by yourself? There was, I watched them. So, you know, as a kid watching them growing up, there was a lot of like, it was almost like a challenge. My parents would, um, would challenge me to watch them. <laughs> that's why you, you're the way you are. Them? I understand. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's part of it is, you know, can you, can you get through this? Um, so there was a lot of that. And then as I became a fan and watched more and more of them, it, it turned into, um, a thing where I shared it with some of my friends and got into trouble in a minor way from time to time from parents um, of friends and relatives who weren't quite ready for their kids to watch those kinds of things. Um, but I was very into them. So, um, you know, I, I remember, you know, cousins, I have my, you know, my cousin Jill, especially is, is someone who to this day she enjoys, she actually wanted me to come um, drive up to her, uh, to her house in, um, in Northern Indiana to just to see this movie. And I couldn't because I had other plans. And, uh, but, um, but yeah, that's, she was one of the ones as a kid that, you know, we, we challenged, you know, it was kind of a challenge for her where she was like, you know, she kind of liked, she enjoyed that challenge too. So there, there were definitely people I showed those to. And, and now with my own kids, with my daughter, especially it's, it's kind of a thing to watch. And, um, you know, and we've discussed this, uh, uh, you know, with, with a few different movies. Um, in, you know, in past episodes, but that, that's kind of, yeah, that is kind of where, where it goes. So it's, it's kind of a mix for me, but I, like, I was by myself watching Friday the 13th part three, you know, a night or two ago. So um, I'll also watch them by myself with, you know, for, you know, by, you know, with very few kind of reservations about it. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of a comforting old blanket almost, you know, for me. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was getting at with uh, the comforting blanket part of it is I was wondering if that was you, because I didn't grow up watching these with anybody. So I, like I told, I've said many times before, I wasn't really into horror until probably, um, I mean, until after I saw The Shining and Alien and The Exorcist, uh, which would have probably been in the mid to late 2000s. Uh, but it wasn't until 2011, I think, maybe, give or take, uh, where I started mm-hmm. challenging myself by, I need to go back and watch all of the original stuff. Halloween, Friday the 13th, like all the classics, Nightmare on Elm Street. I, I want to have an opinion because I have an opinion that is negative, but it is not based yeah. on anything. And I'm glad I did because I ended up getting positive feelings toward it, and it ended up making me appreciate the genre much more. Um mm-hmm. And so I didn't have that. I was watching them by myself. So watching a lot of the slashers, of course, wasn't as fun. But now I have friends who love watching these, you know, and that will have like parties and just like watch them together. You know, like and I find that watching something like a Friday the 13th movie, like we watched part six last year for Halloween or no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. It would have been 2019, I guess. And uh, a friend of ours who's like a horror fanatic. Uh, had a party, and one of the the first movie was Part Six, Friday Thirteenth Part Six, and I actually really liked that movie. Uh, it was a lot yeah. of fun. It's ridiculous, of course, but it was really great. Whenever people would die, and some people are kind of making fun of the movie, and some people are like yeah. kind of like reacting because there are a few of our like group of friends who are not into horror, but they'll hang out with everyone when we watch them. So they're like extra grossed out when there's like <laughs> like really gory kills and stuff. And it's a great, yeah. it's a ton of fun. You know, I actually, yeah. I really, I watched Trick or Treat that way. I watched New Year's Evil with the same people, uh, both of those movies. Uh, still not a fan of those, but like the Friday the 13th, I had a great time. Uh, we've watched The Shining together. Of course, I love that by myself, but watching, honestly, I almost think I like watching it by myself more. That's a movie that I feel like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, that one just feels different to me, but yeah. I would love to sit and watch like all of the Nightmare on Elm Streets with a group of people. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I don't think I'm going to like half of them. But yeah. if I watch them with people, at least we can have a good time and make fun of the terrible performances or the fact that a guy got a Q-tip stuck through his entire head or whatever. Like, you know, right. um, these silly things. So, yeah, I guess like as we have talked about New Year's Evil or Trick or Treat or even talking about Halloween Kills, I think there's just something kind of fundamental in me that doesn't connect as well with a slasher just for being a good slasher. I want there yeah. to like be more. And I think mm-hmm. like Nightmare on Elm Street, even for the bad ones, at least has more because it has the dream quality and uh, you can get so much more creative. Or even Halloween, which full transparency, everybody, I have only ever seen the 1978 Halloween, the 2018, and this kills, right? I've never yeah. seen any of the original sequels because I was never into horror. And when I was getting into it, I was trying to watch the originals of all of these. Right. Um, Now, some of the other ones I've seen more of, but Halloween was one, like everyone's just like the Halloween sequels suck. So I just never, I don't have any opinions myself. Like I haven't went to them because, you know, again, no one really talked them up. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I have some, I have some room to grow there and I, I look forward to, broadening my slasher horizons and giving them shots. But yeah, I think I just kind of get hung up on those sometimes. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can see know. it. All right, Joe. Well, that is, that's our feelings about uh, Trick or Treat, uh, okay. New Year's Evil, and Halloween Kills. Uh, as always, Joe, thanks a lot, buddy. This was good. Thank you.
All right, everyone. That is the end of our episode. I hope you enjoyed it. We talked about uh, New Year's Evil and Trick or Treat. We also talked a little bit about uh, slasher movies and maybe where some of our perspectives are coming from. We also got Joe's feelings on Halloween Kills, which, you know, that's a good addition to our last episode where JB and I talked about Halloween Kills long form. Uh, and you also got my feelings about Dune. Uh, I hope that you go check that out. It really is something special. And I know you don't hear me gush uh, about new movies like that. But um, so far, it's probably my favorite film of the year. I think it will be beaten because there's so much I still need to see um, that has already come out and stuff coming out. But as of right now, out of the like 30 movies I've seen or something from this year, I got to cram big time. Uh, over the next couple of months, but after October's done, that's what I'm doing. It's all 2021 movies, and I'll I'll knock out enough to pull out a top 10. Uh, but so far, Dune is probably my favorite film of the year. I'd have to really think about it, but it's it's I really really enjoyed it. Uh, so, anyways, uh, hey, come hang out with us next week. Um, I'm kind of up in the air. I have a few people that I'm supposed to talk to, but we'll see if we can get that worked out. Either way, I'll have something good, nice and tasty for you. Uh, but until then, I really, really appreciate you guys listening, especially if you listen every week. Thank you so much. I love you. Good night. Good luck. And take it easy. <laughs>